Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Previously on the Simply Human Podcast. So he had no choice but to tell, tell us. And he said, please don't tell anybody. And then I proceeded to tell everyone that I knew in my life. It's episode six of the Simple Human Podcast with your host, Mark Rogers, a human being being human. The mission of this podcast is to help you understand how humans are designed to eat, sleep, move, and enjoy, and how you can start living more like a human today. On today's show, it's the great Jimmy Moore of the Livin' La Vida Low Carb podcast and website. He's an author and his book is Cholesterol Clarity. He's got a new book coming out in June. Today, we talked to Jimmy about how he lost nearly 200 pounds, eating tons of fat, a pushy mother-in-law, statins, thumb dislocation, how cholesterol is like a fireman, why not to fear fat, and a wonderful, huge, fatty breakfast. Then it's another hilarious edition of the Humans Being Human segment with my good buddy and police officer, Rick Bentley, and why he wasn't cut out for the pastry business. And we'll wrap up with our Simply Human tip of the week. You can find us online at simplyhumanlifestyle.com. There are links to the Facebook page and YouTube channel there. Also links to the Simply Human Kids page. Follow me on Twitter at simplyhuman52, and you can email me any questions, concerns, or suggestions at simplyhumanlifestyle at gmail.com. So, without further ado, here's Jimmy Moore. Joining me this morning, or today, or tonight, whenever you're listening to the podcast, it's on demand. It is the great Jimmy Moore of. Yeah, of of the book cholesterol clarity fame of podcast fame i believe i looked this morning you have 738 podcast episodes uh, 739 as of today as of today which is like yeah. is literally in crazy to think about how how many that is but uh just uh through your influence and everything, you, you've really made a big impact. We're on the 700 Club here recently, and what I guess it, 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 introduce yourself to a new audience and who are you? What is your story and, and what is your background? Who are you and why should I care? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your elevator. Yeah. So ten years ago, I weighed 410 pounds. Wore size 62-inch waist pants. I was on prescription medications for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, breathing medication. Uh, I I literally was a ticking time bomb at the age of 32. Um, Had allowed myself to get that way because that was kind of the way I grew up. I grew up, you know, my mom was a single mom. She had three kids trying to feed us the best she could on one very paltry salary. And I don't blame her for buying us, you know, cereal. But back when cereal was cheaper in the 80s, <laughs> right. I think it was like a buck fifty a box in the 80s. What's it now? Like five or six bucks a box yeah. now. But um, well, and then that's you know, what it, that's what she was told 
to buy too you know right like that's what the right. government and, and, yeah, yeah we would get the the quote-unquote healthier kind right. so she'd get the you know non-frosted cheerios or you know has a big heart symbol on the front and oh it's gonna lower your cholesterol oh. and all these kind of images and and they still put those images out there today and then she bought like hamburger helper and we get canned uh you know corn and that would be our sides and we'd have the 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 little grand's biscuits remember those oh, things yeah. I don't even know if they still make them anymore. I haven't bought biscuits in so long. But all of these foods just became a part of what I thought was normal food. Little Debbie snack cakes. I mean, you can still get those. I was just in the store the other day. You can still get those 10 boxes for $10. Right. It's pretty yeah. ridiculous how cheap they make all this processed high-carbage high food, as I like to call it now. Um, you know, and, and that was normal. You know, I didn't know any better uh, about real food or what the purpose of what food did once it got inside the body. I just knew that tasted good. I want to eat it. Give me that some more. Yeah. Exactly. And so that was kind of my mentality before 2004. And of course, you know, I gained weight predictably um, to the point that, you know, I did eventually get over 400 pounds, as I was just saying. And when you get that big, people are like, well, how you let, how you let yourself go? Well, when you don't know any better, when all you know is what you learned growing up and what I learned growing up was hamburger helper, cereal, big plates of pasta, little Debbie snack cakes and low, all those things. Fat, and then right. mixed into that was my mom going on some low-fat diets every now and then. So we'd be introduced to diet food, things like rice cakes. <laughs> Have you ever tried to eat a rice cake? Oh yes. You, you might as well eat styrofoam. Yeah. Uh, because well, I think styrofoam is made of. I, I think you can actually eat those little peanuts that come in the <laughs> packaging. I think those are actually edible, and it's not they're, that far. They're actually probably more uh, <laughs> nourishing <Yeah. laughs> than the than the rice cakes. But right. uh, yeah, so you know, it's 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 a weird juxtaposition because I grew up in both a sad diet culture as well as the low-fat diet culture uh, in the 80s, it was huge. And so my mom bought into it. And, of course, we all followed suit, and, and she was huge. We were all huge uh, as kids. My, my brother, four years older than me, my sister, two years younger than me. You know, we all got bigger eating uh, a mix between sad and low-fat. So, anyway, that kind of paints the picture of how I got to be 400 pounds. And I tried low-fat diets and been moderately successful at losing weight. But the problem was none of those were sustainable. And that's kind of the key message here is finding a plan that will work for you over the long term. And that's what I think I found when I finally started on January 1st, 2004, coming up on 10 years of eating this way, a high fat, low carb diet. A New Year's resolution and that actually stuck. Imagine that. <laughs> well, and, and it's funny because people are like, oh, you did this New Year's resolution. I said, yeah, it might have started off as a New Year's resolution, but it ultimately turned into a new life resolution right. because I implemented this, realized how strong it was in helping me, um, and, and then kept doing it. You know, And that, that's where so many of those other diets always fail people is they're like, okay, let me get on this diet to get down to the weight I want to be, and then I can get back to the way I ate before, and none of that weight will come back on. Right. You know, well, why do we do those mind games with ourselves? Talk about a simply human concept. 
it, you, you've got to be uniquely human to think that you can go back to doing things the way you've always done them and expect a different result right, yeah. than what got you there. Yeah, the, it's pretty amazing. But uh, I did start on the Atkins diet after reading Dr. Atkins' New Diet Revolution, and you're never going to guess how I found out about that diet. It was my dear mother-in-law. Uh, God bless her. She gave me a copy of Dr. Atkins' book for Christmas. At the risk of of, of massively insulting you, yeah. <laughs> Like, but you know what? She, yeah. She's kind of that way, and I've I've known her personality now for a couple of decades, so I, I kind of know that about her, yeah. that she's very blunt, um, and she doesn't mind ruffling some feathers, and she had given me other diet books. I think I got Dr. Phil's diet book one year. That, and that one in, uh, per, includes just growing a mustache, I think. That's all that <laughs> one is. Today is going to be a changing day in Listen, your people. life. <laughs> Stop eating and you'll lose weight. <laughs> Y'all need to grow mustaches. <sighs> but yeah, so I had read all these other books she gave me, but this one was kind of strange to me because it didn't talk about cutting portions, didn't talk about cutting calories. It actually talked about don't worry about calories. It actually talked about you probably need to cut down on carbohydrates because they're impacting blood sugar. And I didn't know what the heck blood sugar or insulin or any of these terms I, I throw out there now meant at that time all i know is food tasted good i wanted to eat it and dr atkins was like you know you gotta check your blood sugar you gotta see what those foods are doing to your body so for the first time in my life i actually got an awareness that food impacted me beyond the calories in them they had metabolic effects and so uh, fat uh, or uh, carbohydrate was one aspect of it the other aspect was if you're going to remove those carbs down to 20 grams a day to start on the Atkins diet guess what you replace those calories with fat more, more fat ph so fat that blew my mind cuz i'm like wait a minute isn't this the stuff that like clogs your arteries isn't this what kills people and gives them heart attacks so all of that conventional wisdom advice that I'd always believed to be true, you know, kind of kicked in. But I said, you know what? I tried low-fat diets. I've been miserable on them. I've had a horrible time sustaining them. What the heck? Let's give this Atkins diet a try. So first month I go on Atkins, I lose 30 pounds. Now, it sounds like a lot, but when you're 4'10 and you go all the way down to 380, (laughs) you're still a big boy. So um, I did realize at that point, though, 30 pounds pretty quick. This is something special. Right. And so second month, I started having so much energy by that point. I had to go to the gym to exercise. So I'd go on the treadmill three miles an hour, which is super duper slow now for me. But back then, 380 pounds, three miles an hour was like going 50 miles an hour. And I would do that for about 15 minutes and be totally you know, exhausted, dripping sweat. But I felt good doing that because I was letting out this energy I suddenly had. And by the end of the second month, lost another 40 pounds. By the end of 100 days, I'd lost 100 pounds. And it was at that point I really knew, okay, there is something about what I'm doing now that is different than anything I've ever done before. Because not only had I lost weight, I wasn't feeling deprived at that point. Despite the fact I couldn't have all the sugary foods that I used to have, I was feeling satisfied when you can eat butter oh, yeah. and meat and cheese and eggs and all sour these sour cream eat. and like the most delicious foods on, yeah. the, on the planet. So when you had all these formerly, you know, forbidden uh, diet foods, um, suddenly, you know, bacon is health food. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, in my coffee this morning, I, I went and worked out this morning, and I had butter, uh, coconut oil, cinnamon, and two raw egg yolks. Uh, yeah. So it's just like a total fat but, uh, coffee, and oh, man, I just I love it. <laughs> yeah. Fat, fat is where it's at is what I like to tell people. Yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, by, by the, uh, I did go through a kind of a period of time during that middle of that losing weight where I did not lose a single pound for 10 weeks in a row. And some people would say, well, didn't that discourage you? I'm like, are you kidding me? I had already at that point lost 100 pounds. Why would I get discouraged But just because I had a few weeks where I didn't lose weight? Now, that's where some people would probably you know, throw in the towel and say, well, this stupid diet doesn't work, despite the fact they've already lost 100 pounds. Right. <laughs> they would just say, well, it's, I should lose weight every week, you know, and what actually happened during that 10-week period of, quote-unquote, no weight loss, I lost six inches off my waist. Wow. And it was at that point, Mark, that I realized this is so much more than weight loss. This is all about making those fundamental changes in the way you eat, in the way you live, in the way you look at the way food responds to you, it, it, it's a big deal. And it goes well beyond calories, well beyond simple weight loss. It really is eating for health first. And then the weight loss kind of is a nice side effect of that. Right. I, I, the I tell people it's like the whole minimal running thing and the barefoot running movement is not some new idea, some new technology innovation. Right. It's it's a regression to a to a better system and and in our society where it's like moving forward and innovation and the next best thing and then the lightest and smaller iPhone when that's the direction everything's going thinking about telling someone to regress is is no I, I, I can't regress we have to keep moving forward but it's the same thing with food it's it's not some new technologically advanced diet it's let's look back at how humans are supposed to eat to find optimal health yeah Exactly. And, and that's certainly some of the lessons that I've learned over the past decade of, of doing this. And, and that's another thing people think, well, I don't know enough about all this to really get started. You know what? Just start. And as you start, build upon the knowledge. I mean, here it is almost 10 years later, and I'm still learning things about my body and about the way food responds to me that I, I didn't have any clue about when I first started on the Atkins diet. So yeah, today is your day. Get started now and then just build on that knowledge from there. So by the end of the year, uh, in 2004, I did go on to lose 180 pounds. And, you know, it was funny because nobody noticed I lost a single pound. It was so funny because <laughs> I was working at this company and I'd lost, you know, 60, 70, 80, still nobody noticed. <laughs> now I'm a tall guy. I'm six foot three and I was 4'10". I guess I hit it well, but <laughs> it wasn't until I got over a hundred pounds lost. So almost wow. six months into this, by the time, you know, five or six months into this was when people were like, are you cutting, did you cut your hair different <laughs> today? And did, I'm like, oh really, vacation? is that what you think yeah. I did? Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I've lost over a hundred pounds. They're like, nah, you haven't lost a hundred pounds. I was yeah. like, yeah, actually I have. I've been doing it all year and so it was funny. They just didn't notice uh -huh. until I hit that magical triple digits law. Yeah. It was funny as all get out. Now, one, and, one, and the go ahead. I was I was gonna say one of the paradoxes of the simply human lifestyle is if you look at my website, is that I'm an advocate for simplicity and all that. Well, but then you also see that I check 
blood sugar every morning and I check ketones and, and I'm not going to do that forever. But, but so that's like, well, hang on a second. I thought this was simple. I don't want to have to go buy a glucometer and all that stuff. Well, I do it just to, I just like to know how things uh, respond, how I respond to things that I eat. And, and so I was going to say, you're one of the inspirations of me checking my blood sugar and my ketones and, and doing that every morning, uh, which isn't necessary, but it's just something, like you said, like kind of taking ownership of, of your health. You are the epitome of what I try to preach now. And that is self-experiment on yourself. See how things respond to you because how things respond to other people don't really matter if your name's Mark Rogers right, or if your name's Jimmy Moore, you've got to do what's right for you. Right. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get into your book, Cholesterol Clarity. It's, uh, uh, a top seller on Amazon. It's doing really well. And so explain why you wrote the book and what is sort of without giving it away because <laughs> yeah. you want people to buy it. What is sort of the main message of the book? So why did I write the book? Right after I lost the 180 pounds on the Atkins diet, 2004, I go see my doctor, Mark, and I'm like, you know what? He's going to love me as a patient. Here I am. I used to weigh over 400 pounds. I've lost 180 pounds. He's just going to think, wow, you're like a stellar patient. I need to clone you and you know, have you inspire my other patients, blah, blah, blah. So I go and see him, and he's indeed impressed by the weight loss, but he said, How'd you do this? And so I told him it was a high-fat, low-carb diet. First thing out of his mouth, Mark, was, oh, we got to check those cholesterol levels. Yep. I was like, okay, no problem. Let's do that. So we get the numbers run. I get the results back before my visit. And the results came back. And my triglycerides, which is a key blood fat, came in at 37. Or, or excuse me, 42. They're 37 now. 42. And so I was like, okay, 42, that's really, really good. Uh, they were near 300 before. And then I got my HDL cholesterol, and it was 72. Which is the good cholesterol. Which is the good cholesterol. So 72, again, a great number. And my uh, HDL before we started this was prob probably in the low 20s, upper teens. It was pretty bad. So it went up significantly. And so I thought, man, those two numbers look great. And keep in mind, this is just after I lost my weight. I haven't really, I didn't have my podcast yet. Uh, hadn't really learned a whole lot beyond, wow, low carb makes you lose weight. <laughs> uh, and so I was still kind of learning all this stuff. And, but I knew enough to know those numbers were really good. So I go and see him and I look on his face and he looks like I kicked his dog or something. He had such a somber look on his face. And I'm like, what the heck is wrong with you? And he said, your cholesterol numbers are horrible. Now, keep in mind, before I started Atkins, he had me on not just one, but two cholesterol lowering medications known as statin drugs. So he had put me on Lipitor and I was on Lipitor when I had a dastardly high cholesterol at that time of 240. And so he puts me on Lipitor I'm I'm joking, of course, with the oh, dastardly yes. high. Right, 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 right. If he if he knew how high my cholesterol is now, he'd probably freak out. But <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But 240. So he had put me on this. This was when I was 400 plus pounds. So maybe he did it because I I was obese at the time. But anyway, I took that and got bad joint pain. I remember going up for a rebound during a pickup game of basketball at my church, and I I got the rebound and my thumb just went straight backwards. I had never seen my thumb do that. And my uh, joints had literally become so deteriorated from taking these drugs. 
And I remember the ER doc said, you must take cholesterol-lowering medications. I'm like, yeah, I take Lipitor. How'd you know? He said, oh, we're seeing a lot more injuries like this wow. from people taking those. And so I went to my doctor and I asked him about getting off of it. Oh, no problem. If you don't like Lipitor, we've got a much better drug. We're going to put you on Crestor. <laughs> well, anybody that knows anything about statin drugs, that's just another statin drug. So, obviously, predictably, I got the same joint pain and muscle aches that I had with Lipitor. Um, and we'll talk more about statins here in a minute because there's an important point I want to bring out about those. So, remind me of that. But So, I, I go to the doctor and, and he says, yeah, you need to be back on these statin drugs again. And I'm like, what are you talking about? All he was looking at, Mark, was my total cholesterol, which was 285, and my LDL cholesterol, which was 185 after Atkins. Now, remember... HDL went way up from what it was before. Which is so good. in the right. upper teens, low 20s before, it went up 50, 60 points just there. So that could explain why a lot of the total cholesterol was higher. Right. So that's what's kind of flawed about a total cholesterol number is part of that number is something you want to have more of, right. HDL. And then... LDL is merely an estimated, calculated number. It's not exactly measured. A lot of people don't realize this, but they use this thing called the Friedwald equation. And this little fancy-schmancy equation just kind of guesstimates what your LDL is. Um, and unfortunately, they're predicating a lot of treatment on an estimated, calculated number you know, while we have technology now that can exactly measure the number of LDL particles and then the breakdown of those particles, how many large, fluffy kind, small, dense kind, and we definitely talk about all that in the book. But, you know, it, it's just unfortunate people, and especially doctors, put so much weight on that total cholesterol being the be-all, end-all, and that's what my doctor was doing when he was trying to push me on Crestor. I obviously laughed at that and said, uh, no thanks. Um, <laughs> I'll I'll take my chances, and here it is 10 years later, and I'm still taking my chances and uh, doing just fine. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so I knew at that time there was more to this cholesterol story than what we've been told, and so it was probably about, about that time that cholesterol clarity in my head started being written. I'm like, you know what? People need to know the truth about this. I had to learn. I had to go out and interview 700-plus people and – and kind of find out for myself that there is more to this story. And this isn't just, you know, just some Joe Schmo guy that lost weight and um, and is now trying to have his opinions out there. It's it's literally doctors, PhDs, researchers, dietitians, all these people, you know, that really are behind this message. Right. And you, um, I mean, what is it, 28 uh experts that you that you interviewed uh and if you go to to jimmy's uh podcast you can there's a there's a section if you do like add old episodes of the cholesterol clarity interview and there's all the interviews with paul gemini and with all these guys and who's going to be on the show by the way uh got him that's huge um and uh and so we have an easier way to find those by the way if you go to my website for cholesterol clarity cholesterolclarity.com click on the media and at the bottom you can see all of those links to those specific episodes perfect and just and while we're talking about that you know living la vida low carb dot com will get you to the page that has okay order the books websites youtube blog the forum podcast links donate contact i mean it's like and a partridge and a pear tree yeah yeah and then it's it's getting close to christmas so um, so of, of all those interviews and, and people that you talk to, sort of boil it down. What is the maybe what is the most important thing that you learned uh, 
through all that. The cool thing is I knew a lot of what I tried to communicate through cholesterol clarity before I wrote the book. Um, so, so that was really good because I, I wanted to not just present information. There's a delicate balance between trying to present information that is scientifically accurate, Mark, but at the same time make it palatable to the average consumer. I was trying to talk to the Jimmy Moore in the Hamburger Helper Little Debbie snack cakes, uh, you know, eating low fat is healthy. I wanted to talk to somebody like that when I was writing Cholesterol Clarity. Right. And so uh, I, I didn't really learn a whole lot more than what I already knew. I mean, when you've interviewed hundreds of people, you, you gain a little bit of knowledge <laughs> right, over the years. Right. And so I didn't learn anything brand new myself personally. But I think what I, what I found was there's a lot more kind of consensus around this whole idea that total and LDL – aren't that grand be-all, end-all that we've been led to believe, that it really comes down to other numbers on that cholesterol panel. If you're going to pay attention to cholesterol at all, and here's an interesting point, there have been a lot of books out there written about cholesterol from the point of, don't worry about your cholesterol. And while I may agree with that in spirit, I also live in the real world, and I know that people worry about their cholesterol. So if they're going to worry about it, why don't you point them in the right direction as to what they should be most concerned with? Right. And the numbers that kind of rose to the top of the list, most of my experts was triglycerides, HDL, and then your LDL particles, um, and especially the small LDL particles, and, and key inflammation markers like the CRP, C-reactive protein, you know, those are the kind of things that if statin drugs didn't make $29 billion annually, you know, t tomorrow, if you took away all that profit that statin drugs made, doctors would be talking about triglycerides, HDL, CRP, small dense LDL particles. That, was, that, that would be their focus. But unfortunately, while there's a pill that can be made to make lots and lots of money, and I, I hate to sound so jaded by this, but, you know, as long as money can be made— you know they're not going to change. Right. There's a there's a uh, analogy that I heard you say once about firemen and how cholesterol are like yep. firemen. Can you can you share that with us? Oh yeah, I'll learn this one because people think cholesterol is the cause of heart disease. Why do we believe that? Because all the authorities say that. But think about it in the fireman analogy. Okay. So a, a firefighter goes to the scene of a fire. Your house is on fire. They come out and they put the fire out. Right. Right. So. Would we then turn around and look at the firefighters and say, how dare you for starting this fire? You're the reason this fire started. And look, all of these fires, firefighters are at the scene of every single fire. So therefore, they're there. They must be the ones that started the fire. That would be ludicrous if we said that, right? Right, right. And yet we're doing the exact same thing with cholesterol. Guess what cholesterol is in the body? It's the firefighter that is there to put out the fire. And in this case, the fire is known as inflammation. So where there's inflammation, there will be cholesterol to come in and kind of be the firefighter to put out the fire. It acts as a healing agent. You know, in this day and age of cholesterol being vilified, you tell people that cholesterol is good because it helps heal the body. They're going to look at you like you're a space alien. Yes, and yet, cholesterol is absolutely needed to put out that fire. And if you did not have cholesterol in your body, 
which is kind of what makes these statin drugs lowering your cholesterol and these obnoxious commercials that say, go lower. Yeah, go lower. Get rid of the firefighters so that when you have more fires than you have cholesterol to put them out, you're in trouble. And, you know, we gave a very prominent example of what happens when you don't have enough cholesterol in your body. Um, You can die. And uh, one of the examples we put in the book was uh, this newscaster. People might remember Tim Russert from Meet the Press. Mm -hmm. He was the the host there on NBC's show. And at the age of 55, while he was preparing to do his show, he died of the very first heart attack he ever had. And the ironic thing, Mark, was one month before this happened, he went to see his doctor and his doctor said, wow, Tim, you are the picture of heart health. You're doing all the things we told you to do. You're eating a low-fat diet. You're eating lots of healthy whole grains. You're riding a bicycle. You're taking a statin drug. You're doing all these great things. Good job. And you want to know why he thought he was the picture of heart health? His total cholesterol was 105. Now, you ask any doctor in America, 105 total cholesterol, is that good? They'll tell you right now, absolutely, that's like stellar. That That's like somebody who, like like Tim Russert's doctor told him, is the picture of heart health. And yet, one month later, he's dead. How did that happen? It happened because he was highly, highly, highly inflammatory. And he had a CRP number of over, I don't know the exact one, but something like six or seven, which is really, really high. You want ideally under two, optimally under one. Uh, my current CRP is 0.55, by the way. Good. Um, and, and so, you know, that was one. And then the other thing, and we talk about this in the book as well, is he had a heart scan score. So you can get a CT scan of your chest to see how much calcified plaque was actually going on in the arteries. And his score was over 500. And a normal score should probably be under 100, definitely under 50, you know, for optimal health. Mine is zero, by the way. Sweet. Uh, and so those are the reasons why. And yet all they focused on was cholesterol. And you think about it. Had he had normal levels of cholesterol, which normal is probably for a man somewhere between 180 and 240. That's generally a normal range for, for men. And of course, he was getting a little bit older, so it might have been even a little bit higher. We can talk about as people get older, how their cholesterol goes up and why. But you know, had he had the normal levels of cholesterol, maybe that cholesterol would have saved him from having that heart attack that eventually killed him. Because people say, well, look, it's a clogged artery. It's got to be the cholesterol that caused that damage. But think about it this way. The, the artery is clogged for a reason. It had cholesterol in there for a reason. Cholesterol wasn't there first. Inflammation was there first that brought the cholesterol. And the cholesterol was in there trying to save life so desperately. And so for Tim Ressert, you know, the poor guy, he only had 105 total cholesterol. He was a sitting duck. He didn't have any firemen. Right. He had no firemen to put out the fire. And guess what happens if you let a fire fester? It it burns down. The house burns to the ground, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, unfortunately, is what happened to him. He, he died way too young, and what's funny is that story didn't get any attention for that angle that I just mentioned to you, which is why we definitely wanted to put that in cholesterol clarity. And you know, hopefully people will remember Tim Russert and, and say, hey, you know, I, I never heard that story before. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, okay, so go buy the book, Kindle, uh, get the hard copy, do both. Uh, Cholesterol Clarity is the name of the book. And uh, and I was going to ask you, in your opinion, what is the most important thing right now in, in the field of sustainable health and wellness um, in your eyes? Don't fear fat. I, I, I think the the vilification of dietary fat is what's gotten us into trouble. Because you think about how many people, you know, and we, I, I, my wife was just telling me an example of somebody who said, oh, somebody from church is going on a low-carb diet. Uh, she just told me that a while ago. And I was like, okay, great. What's she eating? And so he, she started talking about turkey slices and salads. And, and egg whites. Stuff and, yeah. and, well, I, I'm not sure she ate the egg whites, but <laughs> a lot of lean stuff. Right. And I'm going, where's the fat? And And see, I think that's kind of a... It's something that's so culturalized in our modern day society. I'm not sure how it is in other countries, but in America, people go on a diet. They immediately think, "Ooh, I've got to cut fat because I got to cut calories down. And that's the easiest way to do it. And yet fat, if people would ramp up the amount of fat that they ate, they would feel so much more satisfied, would have clarity of mind. Just to give you an example, my breakfast that I had a while ago before we started this interview, I cooked up in a pan some grass-fed butter mm. and threw in four pastured eggs and on top of that put some uh, raw grass-fed cheese and then had some sour cream oh. on top of that. And people so, think that there's some sort of like restrictive uh, th- thing about eating human food or, or that it's not <laughs> doesn't taste delicious. Like I have this thing on my website right now, I'm, I'm doing... Eating human, simply human foods is not restrictive. Exhibit A and all the foods that you can eat yeah. that start with A. And I'm, I'm, I'm through letter F and there's like almost 200 foods that I've come up with. Like, yeah. So it's, and, and it's not even halfway done. So it's, uh, yeah, that, that sounds amazing. <laughs> it, it, it is really, really amazing. And, and, uh, and that's, that's the point. You know, when you eat amazing foods that nourish your body, you're happy. You're, you're pleased. You don't feel deprived. You know, people are like, oh, well, I can't cut out whole food groups like somebody eating a low-carb diet. I'm going, what food group have I cut out that I'm missing? Right. I, I'm not missing anything eating that way. And the cool thing is eating that meal will allow me to go many, 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 many hours until I have to eat again, maybe even tomorrow. Right. And that's because whole, I was yeah. so satisfied. That's something that kind of can kind of scare people off. But that's how I, I mean, my eating window every day is typically... And not counting fat as as breaking the fast, if you will, and that's a whole nother topic. But I mean, I, right. I'll go twenty two hours, you know, a typical day, and not eat, and then sure. just eat a huge dinner around four or five, six somewhere in there, and then shut off my eating window, and I'm not hungry. I don't get cravings at ten o'clock, you know, that a lot of people get, and they just and then it's then willpower is out of the equation. I'm not having to right. you know force myself to not eat because I'm, I'm satisfied. And then that's why at the end of the day, because willpower is a finite resource, at the end of the day, if you're just battling willpower all day, then you get to 10 o'clock, you're, all your willpower reserve is gone. So then you go in and you have the chips and you have the ice cream and you have a candy bar. And then, and then that's why it's so hard for those night cravings. But if you can change the way that your body is functioning where you don't get hungry, it's it's like such a relief and such a load off to not have to worry about oh I'm going to be out at nine or ten o'clock and what am I going to eat I'm going to have to be suffering through starving myself and and have this horrible hunger pain like that that is gone it's you eradicate that feeling and that fear. You think about our culture, and this culture it's breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, 
dinner, snack, midnight snack. So yeah. we have all these, we're, we're literally every single moment of our lives is predicated on what's my next meal. Right. What am I eating in the next two to three hours? And Mark, I don't know about you, but I don't even think about food anymore. Yeah, it's awesome. When I <laughs> when I first started doing like seriously doing ketogenic last year with my nutritional ketosis experiment, I mean, my wife had to remind me, um, dude, you haven't eaten in like twenty something hours. Will you please eat something? Yeah. And you're not <laughs> starving I was yourself. So and it's not, I don't want people to hear that and think, oh, he's he's anorexic or something. It's not about n- not eating. It's the opposite of starving. It's it's yeah. being completely nourished. satisfied and nourished. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's a foreign concept. And you know, if people want to try this, I just dare you ramp up your fat in your diet. Right. Now, obviously, at the same time, don't go overboard with carbohydrate either because carbs combined, that's not such a good idea. Yeah, so a, bump down your carbs a bit uh, for a period of time, ramp up your fat, and even moderate down your protein because protein can have a negative uh, effect on your blood sugar levels as well. Gluconeogenesis. Yeah, gluconeogenesis. <laughs> that's right. So just see what happens for you. Again, goes back to that self-experimentation. I would be surprised. And yes, you're going to eat a lot of calories. I mean, there's some of those kind of meals that I'll eat that mark a lot, 2,500 to 3,000 calories in one meal. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. And that's important. If you're going to do you know, a, a fast or if you want to uh, you know, see how long you can go between meals, you know, you've really got to make sure you eat enough, and that's a big mistake. That's the mistake my my uh, wife's friend from church was doing. She was eating so small because, again, we've equated small portions and low fat to healthy, right. and yet we've got to shift that paradigm. That's a major, major thing I think that's coming, but it's just a slow road coming. Right. Okay, as we're, as we're coming up on time, there are a couple more questions I want to make sure to ask you. The first yep. is, okay— the whole like hand washing thing, you know, with with looking back and oh, if we had just been washing our hands for all these years, how many people would have and babies would have survived and all this stuff? And then we look at like cigarettes. Looking back, oh, if you know, looking back, how how stupid were we to to not correlate smoking and lung cancer? Do you think we're going to look back in 20, 30 years and think, man, can you believe the mistake we made by eating all that fat and cutting down on carbohydrates? I don't think it's going to take that long. I think within 10 to 15 years, those kinds of things are going to happen. I mean, if, if you want to go on YouTube right now, you can go on YouTube and find the old cigarette commercials that used to air um, where they would like glamorize, ooh, this, do, smoke cigarettes for your health. Right. And then they used to have these, uh, drink a Coca-Cola and it's it's so healthy. It gives you the energy to sustain you throughout the day. You know, those kind of commercials, we laugh at them now through our prism of today. I think that's going to happen very quickly, Mark. I, you know, t- 20 years, definitely, I believe it's going to happen. It's, there's just too much information happening for it not to be looked on someday as, oh, my gosh. I mean, these will be the dark days of nutrition in our in our culture these last three or four decades of the low-fat lie. Um and unfortunately, I think by the time it's all said and done, we're going to have endured a half century of it before we came to our senses. Right. And just to clarify for the listeners, I, I asked the question, uh, you answered 
the opposite, but I think people understood. Like, cause I said, can you believe the mistake we made by eating tons of fats? And I think you heard me say, can you believe the mistake we made by not eating tons of fat? So yeah. basically to clarify what Jimmy's saying is <laughs> in 20 to 30 years, we're not going to be looking back going, Oh, look at us. We're all unhealthy because of all the fat we're eating and cutting down on, on, on wheat and healthy whole grains. So just to clarify, so we're on the same page, obviously. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah. I did misinterpret. Yeah. No, Sorry about fine. that. You're fine. And then, yeah, yeah, well, and then, like, I, I just, and to not clarify, and then someone is like listening for the first time, you're like, wait a second, they've been talking like, about fat this you whole didn't time. The question. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, <laughs> the final question is something I try to ask every person I interview is, and, you know, because the four pillars of the simply human lifestyle are eat like a human, sleep like a human, move like a human, and enjoy life like a human, which includes mitigating stress and just and being a sort of half glasses, half full kind of a perspective. So, Jimmy Moore. What is something that you do to either make life more enjoyable or just something that you enjoy about life? And it has, can be, has nothing to do with, with food. You know what I do to make life enjoyable? What's that? It's so, it's so simple when you stop and think about it, Mark. I make life enjoyable by enjoying life. <laughs> and I, I think not enough people enjoy this. I think they embrace the concept of I must be suffering in my life or something's not not right. right. I, I get four to five hundred emails a day, Mark, no lie, in my email box. And most of the people that write to me, and it's no no offense to them, but most of the people who write to me and they have this long sob story, I I read through it and I'm like, you know what? They need to learn to enjoy life. Right. And if people learn things. to enjoy life, respect themselves, love themselves. That, dang, what a, what a world we would have if more people just started loving themselves better. And that's one thing I try to embrace. You know, people are like, oh, all these nasty things are said out there on the Internet about you. And I'm like, I, I don't care. Yeah. You know, people can think what they want to think about me. I, I know at the end of the day, the only person I have to, uh, you know, be held accountable for is me. Right. And and that that's it. Right. <laughs> so I, I don't worry about you know outside pressures, uh, you know, criticisms, things like that. I, I think at the end of the day, the 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 big take home message is I just enjoy what I do. And the moment I stop enjoying what I do is the moment I probably don't need to be doing it anymore. Right. So, but here's the secret: I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, cool. That's awesome. And I really appreciate your perspective and all that you are doing for the the movement. And I know your goal and, and my goal in all this is pretty similar and it's to help people and it's to help people to, I always say like, I don't care if you're going to cross the street. Like, I'm not going to judge you for crossing a street. I just want you to be able to cross the street with your eyes open yeah. and not with a blindfold on. So all I'm trying to do is just now, if you want to take the blindfold off and look around and then put the blindfold back on, that's totally up to you. It's your decision. But <laughs> but my goal is to just put the information out there. And there's a lot of people like you and Mark Sisson and, and Jason Sive and Sarah Fergoso and all these others that are out there. And I just think it, the, the reach needs to be even greater. So that's why I sort of picked up my sword, so to speak, and I'm joining the fight. So bring it. Yeah. So appreciate everything that you do for us and uh, cholesterol clarity. We'll have all of the links to, to Jimmy stuff in the show notes. And hopefully, uh, and we, I know for a fact in, in future podcasts, we will have Jimmy back on, uh, on the humans being human segment. Uh, so, so be on the lookout for that. So thanks Jimmy. And we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Thank you, Jimmy. You can find links to all his stuff in our show notes or just search for cholesterol clarity, wherever books are sold. He's an easy guy to find. 
It's time for the Humans Being Human segment. This week, we're joined by a childhood friend of mine and police officer, Rick Bentley. And we'll hear why a small teenage bird brain and a commercial oven, not always the best combo. Here's Rick. Testing, testing. Rick worked at my dad's Kalachi Bakery when he was in high school, um, 17-ish years old, uh, at... When you were at Plano East Senior High, uh, home yes. of Lance Armstrong, uh, famous cyclist, um, has nothing to do with the story. So yeah, I remember there was. Remind me, there was something about. I, I remember you getting burned, but I don't remember <laughs> exactly what happened. Like, well, I feel I feel like the entire time that I worked there, it was just like, like me, me, I, like, uh, hey, come work in this bakery. Hey, that sounds like a great idea. Hey, what are your skills? Oh, I have no discernible skills whatsoever. I, uh, I can stand there and I can say, hello, everyone. And then you can explain to me and I can screw stuff up. Yeah. Well, there, uh, there are two kinds of trays uh, on like the tray rack on the wall. And like up by the front display, you'd, you know, one tray of kolaches would be empty. And you'd be like, oh, well, I have to get a new tray. That is obviously like step one is make sure there's plenty of trays there with food on them. No one's going to buy food from that doesn't exist on an empty tray. Well, the the tray rack was in the back, and I, it was particularly busy. And so uh, one of the tray racks ended, and we've got a line out the door, which was like pretty much every single morning because everyone, you know, loved the food there. Everyone loved my my dad's buns. Pretty much is what <laughs> they, it boils down to. They, well, they were especially sweet and hot <laughs> and smooth. Uh, but. Uh, I, I go in the back to grab a tray, and as you can imagine in a bakery, there are things that come out of an oven. Uh, that are particularly that are, hot. That are hot yes. because an oven, I don't know if you knew this, it's a box with heat <laughs> inside that cooks things. By nature, it is a heating yeah. element, right? By the very definition of it, it's extremely hot. It's a hot box, if you will. Well, some of the trays, sometimes they'd take them out when we weren't quite as busy and put them on the, the, the rack, and they would cool because, hey, that's what things do. And sometimes, like, you'd just put trays on there straight out of the oven that were very hot. And so... And you don't know, like, like okay, you're just, you're out in front, there's a line out the door, you come back, you don't know, has this tray been on the rack for 30 seconds? Has it been on for 30 yeah. minutes? Yeah. And you can't tell by looking at it. The, what a smart person would do is, like, I don't know, like... Always use an oven mitt because you just never by know default. Which be. <laughs> yeah. Or you know, at the very minimum, like put your hand near it first <laughs> to see if you can feel heat radiating off of it. I am not uh, a particularly smart person, and so I would just grab this tray and yank it off and put it up there because hey, we got people, uh, customers. Fully committed, not yeah, just the fully grab, not the yes. not the the test touch. Right? No, the full grab with two hands. <laughs> And I grab this tray, and like usually they're like they're not like blazingly hot, the ones that were hot, but they were like hot enough for you to be like, oh man, that's hot. I gotta let go of this. I need to put my oven, the oven mitt on. Yeah. This one seriously must have been out of the oven for less than thirty seconds, easily, because I grab this tray and immediately my my finger nerves like send impulses to my brain that say, tray not hot, continue, <laughs> proceed. Well, in fact, it was so hot that I guess it like burned my nerve and my fingers and my fingerprints melted off and i get like in the, the distance you have to carry the tray to get to the front is i don't know like what would you say like maybe 15 feet yeah maybe yeah i get it off the rack and i'm like 
exactly 7.5 <laughs> feet. I'm exactly midpoint between the front and the rack when my nerves go, uh, alert, alert, off, nerve on, reverse course, reverse course, train. abort, abort. I can feel like the heat, like it's like a cartoon, like when a guy grabs something hot and like his hand and arm pulses like red. And it gets super that. huge. Yeah. I can almost like the smell of the bakery is so great and intoxicating, but now it smells like burning human flesh. And your options are like either hold on to the tray <laughs> yes. to either go back to the rack or get to the front. Uh, or and the, really, there the option to dr just drop the tray really isn't an option because of who owns the bakery. <laughs> yes, I was just about to say I really have three options: go back to the rack and nurse my wounds, hurry up and get up front, or drop the tray all entirely on a human instinct to not melt your face and fingers and body. But you but know, like, subconsciously, I instantly know the third option's not going to work because your dad would like he would kill you. Punch me to death. Yeah. It's like a so your your genes from a survival standpoint knew that being severely burned was better than just dropping the tray because you would oh, then yeah. of course be dead you talk about a rock and a hard place either burn my hand or like have your dad like punch a hole through the front of my skull and his hand to go out of the back of my skull like just holding my brain in his fist or like or if maybe we would prove that there wasn't anything in there and he there would just be no brain you know what? It actually would have been great to drop the tray because your dad would have been really pissed. But like, we couldn't have sold them, and I could have just sat on the floor and like, eating them. Boy, like eating, <laughs> eating these collages off the floor, like uh, like uh, Chris Farley and uh, when he's eating the banana, <laughs> all the school lunches in Happy and Billy Madison. Oh. Who would steal thirty? Who would steal thirty sack lunches? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I'm like I, I get the tray and I'm exactly like midpoint between the front and the, the tray rack. When I realize like this thing is like it's like touching like the inside of a volcano, and to hear your dad tell it is even greater because your dad says it like you can instantly tell on my face when I got to that point like oh crap what have I done? And so like I make a like a stutter step back to the rack and a stutter step back over to the front and like I'm like stutter step this whole time. <laughs> Just wasting time. Burning your hand. Made a decision and gone with that and not melted my hand off. But I like spend like a, a legitimate like four to five seconds going oh, front or back, front or back, front or back, front or back. Like what should I do? They like, call that, that paralysis oh, by analysis, I think. Yes. Oh, it was complete paralysis. And so I, I you know what? I'm, I'm pretty sure I brought the tray to the front and I think all the customers – were like dying laughing at me like, oh man, this guy who owns a bakery, it's so nice of him to like hire someone who's like uh, functionally, like uh, mentally not there. And he grabbed a really hot train, it's kind of funny. But like, uh, I don't know if that, you know, that, that your dad should probably thank me because that might have increased bakery sales. <laughs> Because people are like, oh, he hired He's so this nice. poor, like stupid, uh, stupid guy off the street. The compassion, the compassionate baker. <laughs> That's right. Your dad is the compassionate baker. That's right. Not anymore, though. Thank you, Officer Bentley. We'll be hearing from Rick Moore in future podcasts on the subject of sleep and how he tries to get the best sleep he can while he is working the night shift, as his duties call, uh, as a policeman. But uh, now it's time for the Simply Human tip of the week. It's something you can start doing right now to be a more healthy human. This week, here we go. This is a stretch. 
do something uncomfortable. And here's what I mean. A lion wakes up in the wild. He has no idea what he's going to eat that day. He has no idea what's going to happen. And he's really not all that worried about it. He just does it. He, he, he does whatever he has to do that day to survive. Compare that with a lion who wakes up in a zoo. He has his food brought to him. He's comfortable. He's, uh, he's got a kind of a squishy environment. He's not really worried about anything. He's cozy. Both lions are lions, but only one of those lions is a king. And that's from a book titled Flinch, written by Julian Smith. And I highly recommend uh, that book and any other books published by the Domino Project at dominoproject.com. An example of something you can do uh, uncomfortable is something I do every day, and that's take a cold shower. Now, wait a second. That's, that's crazy talk. Well, just, just get in. You stand under the shower head, take a deep breath, and you just turn the cold water on full blast. You won't die, I promise. I do it every day. And I started doing it um, because I read The 4-Hour Body and, I, and there were some uh, biological and physical things that, that, uh, that make me feel good when I do that. But I've uh, recently come under the realization that there's some psychological uh, component to that as well. That moment that you really don't want to turn that faucet on or jump in the pool or, or whatever it is that, that's un- that uncomfortable thing that you're going to do, that's an important moment. Breaking through that feeling will train you in other areas of your life not to hesitate or flinch. It will teach you to act and not be passive. So just try it. It'll make you a more powerful human. So here's a quote from, from Flinch. Challenge yourself by doing things that hurt on purpose. Have a willpower practice such as very hard exercise, meditation, endurance, or cold showers. Choose something that makes your brain scream with how hard it is and try to tolerate it. The goal isn't just to get used to it. It's to understand that pain is something you can survive. End quote. So, life is supposed to be enjoyable, but it's not always supposed to be comfortable and squishy. Being uncomfortable makes you stronger, and a lot of times... Uh, we have sort of recalibrated our fight or flight responses, whereas you know the most stressful things about our lives are driving in traffic or you know losing your keys. Whereas if you were actually calibrated to how your human brain is is supposed to function, losing your keys in a setting where you might run into a bear at any moment or you don't know what you're going to eat for dinner because you haven't gone out and hunt it yet. Uh, the keys thing kind of puts everything in perspective. So put yourself out there, do things that will recalibrate your fight or flight response uh, and make you a more powerful and, and more human, more powerful human. So thanks for listening to this edition of the Simply Human podcast. Coming up next time, it's an interview with paleo dietitian Amy Kubal. We talk about food, movement, and a lot of other things um, dealing with nutrition and uh, kids in particular. So check that out on uh, November 7th is when that one will be released. Uh, you can find us online, simplyhumanlifestyle.com. It's also where the Simply Human Kids page is located. Follow me on Twitter at simplyhuman52, or you can email me anytime, questions, concerns, suggestions at simplyhumanlifestyle at gmail.com. And if you're so inclined, please leave a review, good or bad, on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, it's always helpful. So that'll do it for this edition of the Simple Human Podcast. And remember... And uh, I look up on the wall, and there's this sign that says, Bone Flap Exposed. <laughs> so until next time, enjoy yourself. Wonder, 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 wonder.